0: All right. Good morning. So, uh, for those of you that are new here, I'm not the pastor. Um, you know, I thought I'd be smart. A few—it's been a couple months ago. Shane sent out a list of open dates, and looking at my calendar, December 11th looked great. And then two weeks ago, he called and said, "Would you teach about love?" Like. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, oh my, uh, Michael Riedmann is a, a messianic Jew. Uh, he's a Jewish person that accepted Christ, and he's a, a teacher and leader at Moody Bible Institute. I was listening to him talk yesterday on the radio, and he was talking to someone that was really, you know, lifting him up. It's like he's got it all together. And he said, "Hey, listen, I am just a fellow struggler, right?" So that's the way I feel today. I'm not the pastor, because the pastors never struggle, right? Um, you know, really, honestly, thinking about love the last couple of weeks, it's really been sort of an emotional drain. And I'm thinking, you know what? Shane does this every week, all right? So it just was an encouragement to remember to pray for him and his family. I hope you will follow suit. You know, to talk about love, I, you know, Advent is a time where we think about Christ's first coming and his second coming, right? And I figured, since Shane asked me to talk about love, he must figure I'm an expert. Um, I guess after 47 years of marriage and uh, 46 years of teaching eighth graders, um, wow. True story, though, a few years ago, I began praying that God would give me a heart of love for my students. Be careful what you pray, all right? That's why I'm still there, because God has just really given me a heart for these kids most of them, most days, um, but, but it is a challenge. Um, we're going to talk today about God's love, and we're going to talk about it, sort of what did it look like in the Old Testament, what did it look like in the New Testament, what does it look like today? Um, there's a guy named Carl Barth, University of Chicago, and the story is, was in 1962, he was teaching a large group, group of students, and then they had a question and answer time. And one of the students raised his hands and they said, would you be able to summarize your decades of studying theology and summarize that in one sentence he said yes i can do that because i can just go back to a time on my mother's knee when she taught me the song jesus loves me this i know for the bible tells me so that was the summary of his years of studying theology so we're going to have a word of prayer here and then we're going to talk a little bit about love Father God, to think that you chose to love us is uh, beyond anything I can comprehend. I'm so grateful that uh, you chose, chose me and chose the people to be here today for, for this message. Uh, God, I thank you that uh, you stepped from eternity into this life to become one of us, to experience what it's like to be fully human. And yet, God, I pray that uh, as we think about the fact that you are a God of love, that it would inspire us to get to know you more, to love you better, and to love those around us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I wanted to start with a quote here. It says, The story of Jesus is the story of God who loved us so incredibly and uncontainably much that God explodes the boundary between divinity and humanity and comes gasping into the world to love us in person. Uh, have we got desensitized to that? I know I, I hear things so many times. I tend to get desensitized. But think about the God of the universe stepping into our time and loving us in person. That's just really, a really pretty mind-boggling thing. You know, evidently love's on the top of the list for God's priorities because when Jesus was asked, What's the greatest commandments, what was his answer? Love God. And love your neighbor. All right. It's interesting that in his uh, Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, J. Barton Payne itemized 127 messianic predictions involving more than 3,000 Bible verses, with a remarkable 574 verses referring directly to a personal Messiah. In his book, The Messiah in the Old Testament. Examine 65 direct prophecies about the Messiah. These incredible promises formed one of the most central themes of the Old Testament, the coming Messiah. There's a really interesting quote in um, a book called Evidence Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. He talks about those 65 prophecies and the fact that Jesus, one man, fulfilled them all. He says the probability of that not being the person that was prophesied about would be equal to covering the state of Texas in 50 uh, cent coins, two foot deep, marking one of them, blindfolding a person, and send them off and have the chance of him picking the right one. I think it's pretty, pretty obvious that Jesus is who he claims to be. You know, so I was always thinking about the Old Testament. Um, the question was, well, where do we see God's love in the Old Testament? And I've asked a couple people that, and they sort of had the same response I did at first. You know, I think the Old Testament is full of some incredible stories, right? A lot of them seem to be about God's justice and His righteousness. But thinking about God's love in the Old Testament is not something I've really thought a lot about to this message. <coughs> There's some, just a few verses I'd like to share with you that have an amazing message about God's love. Nehemiah chapter 9, by the way, I read it the whole thing yesterday. It's a beautiful picture of the nation of Israel how they disobeyed God and they repented. And this is their story of repentance. Nehemiah 9.17 says, They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. What a beautiful picture of God's love. Um, let's go to the next one, Psalm 33, 5. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in his unfailing love. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. You know, the concept of God's love never failing, that should be a great comfort to us, all right? It's something we can count and depend on. John Piper, a contemporary pastor, Uh, in today's time, says the only love that won't disappoint you is the one that can't change. That's pretty powerful to think about, that God's love, same God, right? God's love is going to be there consistently forever. Psalm 100, verse 5, says, For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 63, 3. Because your love is better than life, and my lips will glorify you. It's interesting that the last time I had a chance to speak, I talked about Psalm 63. And to think that God's love is better than life, well, then it's better than anything, right? It's amazing. God's love. <clears throat> Some of my favorite verses in the Old Testament about uh, God's love is in Isaiah 43, 3 and 4. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for a ransom and Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you and nations in exchange for your life. Man, what an amazing thing to think about, right? God, just out front, not cutting any corners, says, because I love you. You know, you can't have a personal relationship unless there's love involved. So the fact that God loves us, Personally, individually, it allows us to have that kind of relationship with Him. And then Isaiah 54.10, again, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. All right? Um, So lots of verses here about the fact that in the Old Testament, God was a God of love. Now, one last verse, as I was looking, googling uh, some verses about Old Testament and God's love, this verse came up. It's Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, which says, "The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. How is that a picture of God's love? Well, that's a depiction of you and me, and yet God still chooses to love us. What what an amazing God love has, or love that God has for us, All right? So, as I was thinking about this, um, and we go to the New Testament, you know, there was a period of time. You can go ahead, you go to that next slide. So, there's about a four to five hundred year period of silence between. <clears throat> the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and then Jesus coming on the scene uh, in the book of Matthew. And as I looked about it, I was curious about, well, what do they know about Jewish history during that time? And it says what happened during that time, since there were no prophets, no one that was really making people, pointing them to the truth of God's word. The people sort of did their own thing. They made their own tribes and their own groups, and they were always in conflict with one another. It says that the nation was divided. Even the office of the high priest was corrupted and bought and sold. Sounds a little bit like today, right? So there was a lot of conflict going on during that time. So if you think about, if that's what was taking place, then you think about Jesus coming on the scene in the way he did. No wonder a lot of people missed it. I think they were probably looking for a Davidic king, right? Someone that would come in and clean house, and especially when the Romans were in town, and they wanted to be free. But the most incredible act of love, Jesus, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, who would possess an everlasting kingdom, rips the curtain of eternity open, and enters the world of man as a helpless infant in a stable. He announces his birth first to the lowly outcast shepherds with the message, born for you, right? And Sarah, who did it, and I don't know, you guys probably don't realize this, the thing that Sarah read today, she wrote. God has really gifted her with the ability to uh, put words together in amazing ways. But she touched on the idea of why Jesus came, right? For God so loved the world, right? That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, it's interesting in 2 Peter 3, 9, that word perish is also there. And it says that God is patient toward you, not willing for any to perish. So I think sometimes we get this perspective that God's just waiting to hammer us. You know, he wants to cast people to hell. No, God paid the ultimate price to rescue us, to give us away <laughs> from having to go there, which is what we deserve. All right, it seems, so, it seems that if you look at Jesus' life, I think there were a lot of people living at that time that didn't recognize who he was. I think sometimes the disciples were confused, right? And yet the people that most understood God's love were the ones that had a you know a personal touch by him. And I just this list came to mind. I'm sure it's not complete. But these are people that would have recognized that God so loved the world. You know, in John 13:1. Uh, This is towards the end of Jesus' life where he's explaining to the disciples that he's going to be crucified, he's going to be beaten, he's going to uh, go to a grave and rise again in three days. And it says he loved them to the end. I'm sure the disciples, in all their confusion and all their mistakes, still realized how much he loved them. Um, I wore my Chosen t-shirt today. Um, I don't know if you're a big Chosen fan. We'll let you stay if you're not. Um, But one of my favorite scenes uh, in the whole series is Nicodemus. When Jesus and Nicodemus have this conversation and the light comes on for Nicodemus. And he realizes that this is God, the promised Messiah. I don't know, it probably didn't happen exactly the way it does there, but it really opens your eyes to a picture of how much God intimately loves us. You know, the people that Jesus touched and healed, the blind, the crippled, the mute, the lepers, the demon-possessed. You know, when you look at those, Jesus didn't just do that in passing. It's like, okay, be well. I mean, I'm sure he did that from a heart of love, and they they would have known that. Um, The woman caught in adultery. It's amazing the way he treated her. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I'm sure she would have experienced that love. Um, The woman who was the sinner, that came and washed Jesus at a Pharisee's home. The woman comes and with her tears washes Jesus' feet, dries him with her hair, anoints him with perfume, kisses his feet, right? And of course, the Pharisees are like, you know, who, what's, what's this all about? And Jesus said a, a really amazing thing about love. He who has been forgiven little, loves little, which implies he who has been forgiven much, loves much. I'm sure she understood a little bit about Jesus' love. Um, I think sometimes we think about you know, God's love being a choice, but there was emotion involved, right? I mean, Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb uh, with Mary and Martha. Uh, so that I'm sure they recognized his love. Um, and Peter, who denies Jesus three times, and at the end, I believe it's a book of John, Jesus affirms his love for Peter three times in asking him the question, Peter, do you love me? So the New Testament is just filled with an incredible picture about God's love. All right, so what about today? All right, I was thinking about, Shane's been talking, he mentioned the last couple of messages about comparing Christianity to other religions. I am not a scholar, all right? But I do know that when you look at all the other religions in the world, there's only one God who loves. Isn't that pretty interesting? If you look at all the other religions, there's not a whole lot of context about love. It's about you know judgment and earning things. But we have a God who loves. Um, an interesting quote <clears throat> says, I don't want you to miss this. God actually wants to love you. He wants to love you. It's not our loveliness that makes God love us. <laughs> but our unloveliness. Praise God. It is not because of our sufficiency that Christ stepped down from heaven, but our need. It's not because of anything that we bring to the table, but simply because God is love. Um, It seems to me that throughout history, though, God's love somehow sort of gets missed. Um, And I'm not sure why. I think you you think about the Israelites and that 400 years of silence and you know, being oppressed by the Romans. I think we can get so caught up in our needs and our comfort that we miss who God is. It says, could it be that I'm so preoccupied with my own wants and comfort that I take, take God's love for granted? I mean, if God loves me he'd, make me, he'd make sure that I was comfortable, right? Or maybe we see the suffering in the world or in our own lives and question if God really loves us. So I think, especially in our culture, where we're all about comfort, I think it's really easy to miss that God loves us as a perfect Father. You know, if we had time today, we would read John chapter 4, verses 7 to 19. And I just made a list of some of the, the concepts that are mentioned there about God's love. That everyone who is loves has been born of God, okay? Which, this is really important in a relationship. If you have a relationship with someone that doesn't know God, then they can't fully love you, right? Because they, don't, they haven't been born of God. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. He demonstrated that love on the cross, Romans 5, 8. He loved us first. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Perfect love has no fear. And we love because he first loved us. Just some amazing things. I'd really encourage you as a family to go home and read 1 John chapter 4 together. Um, So how do we know when we're loved? I want you to think, just for a few seconds here, I want you to think of five people in your life that love you. Go. Think of five people in your life that love you. You know, and ho- hopefully, that was a short, quick list, and hopefully that list is much longer. But you know, I- I'm sure that I have some students, and I'm sure Kevin sees these kind of kids all the time, and Blaine in his youth group, where they would probably have a difficult time naming five people that they felt like loved them, all right? So if you have a group of people that love you, you are really, truly blessed. So how do we know when we're loved? And then the other, other side of that coin, is how do we show others that we love them? So again, a random list I came up with, not extensive. Uh, They're excited and they look forward to seeing us. You know, there's a real, there is an advantage to having kids that live far away from home. And I have one that lives close by, but you know what? Those kids that we see every few months really, really look forward to seeing us, all right? They want to spend time with us. there's a real embrace with someone you haven't got to see for a while. It's just really cool. Grandkids give the best hugs, right? Now, Hattie Ann's not up. She's probably running around somewhere. Now, Hattie Ann's my favorite hugger right now because she's the littlest that's nearby. And she sees me. She runs up and says, Papa, and gives me a hug. Of course, the next question is, where's Nana? True, that's true. Yeah. Or where's the snacks? (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah. A person that loves, we know we're loved when that person shows concern for our well-being, they look past our inadequacies and imperfections, they tell us, and they love us sacrificially. And what I thought of this morning as I was thinking through this, is their love is transforming. It really changes us. Now, isn't this the way Jesus loves us? If you read through the Bible, this is the way Jesus loves us. Okay? And he showed his emotion. He just didn't hide it. Um, so how do I show my love for Jesus? Well, similar. I need. I want to spend time with him. I learn about him. I, I need to be honest and transparent. Isn't that the beauty of... The relationship of God, He's not asking us to come to Him with it all together. We can come open and honestly. He knows, so we can be honest and transparent. We can obey Him out of love, not out of uh, you know because we have to. We realize how much we've been forgiven and what His forgiveness cost Him. That should help us grow in our love for Him. And we can read and reread His love letter, which is our Bible, right? You can re-read. I was telling first, uh, first period. I almost said, um, "Yeah." <laughs> that when I was in the eighth grade, ironically, my this is my first girlfriend. We had one of the flip-top desks. How many of you are old enough in here to have had a flip? Yeah, there we go. And we had back-to-back classes, and we would leave love notes in the desk. Yes, yeah, so, and flip it up. Oh, there it was, I can't remember who started that, but um, you know, and ironically, Brenda and I started uh, interacting through letters. Um, My brother was the youth pastor and they were given an assignment to write a letter to somebody in college and somehow she got my name. So you have to be careful with those love letters, (laughs) that was 48 years ago. So. How do, I grow, how do I grow in my love for Jesus? Right there. Spend time with him. Be honest. Read and reread those love letters. Um, a Renowned Christian psychologist, Dr. Larry Krabb, said, We all have a need for security and significance. That is, we desire to be loved unconditionally and for our lives to have purpose. I can relate to that. I'm sure that you can, too. I know when I was a young basketball coach and. Um, Uh, This one back here and his older brother were pretty little and I can remember after games when you just felt like the officials were awful Your kids didn't play well It just wasn't what you had planned and you're just like an emotional 100 mile an hour and they would want it they'd run in the locker room They just wanted a hug from dad. They didn't care if the officials were bad or what the score was, right? They just wanted to spend that time and we have a heavenly father like that that once he loves us unconditionally and he has a purpose for our life. You know, Jesus came the first time to offer that unconditional love and security to us. That's an offer. And he's coming a second time. That's the the second half of Advent. He's coming a second time to take his own with him to spend eternity together. So the two questions I want you to think about, did you recognize him the first time? Have you recognized him, right? Or have you held off on allowing him to love you the way that he's loved you? And secondly, when he returns, will you be going with him? Those folks are two of the most important questions you have to answer in your life. And I'm thankful that God made the answers to those questions clear. That it's not because of something I have to do. It's because God so loved the world. And God so loved you and me. Let's pray. Lord, um, wow. To think that the creator of the universe wants to have a personal, intimate relationship with me and each one of us in here. God, forgive us for the times that we're looking to be comfortable and looking for our own interests rather than just opening our arms and accepting the love that you have for us. Lord, help us, Lord, to be willing to say that we love you that you are the most important thing in our life. Lord, and if we're not there yet, we would uh, put our faith and trust in you today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.